You can go ahead and have a seat. We now come to the moment in the feast that I've titled Receiving from the Word. Uh, It's marked by the scripture readings and by the sermon in particular. And so a note about the scripture readings, the, the scripture we just heard read here and here as the gospel was processed. After hearing the readings, each of the lessons, um, we say some version of what's encapsulated in two of them. We say, thanks be to God. And that's this idea. It's this script for this idea that we receive from God his word with faith and gratitude. And sometimes, let's be honest, sometimes the reading is confounding. You're like, what is going on there? We just got dropped into this really bizarre moment. Sometimes it's convicting. You like hear it and you're like, yikes, that was a heavy duty word. Am I really like, praise the Lord after that. And sometimes it's comforting. But the idea is, is the church is whatever that word might, however that word might land with us, whatever it might specify or touch on, we say, thanks be to God. We have a sense of receiving from him something good, something that we need, even if it feels confounding, confusing, challenging. There are four readings each Sunday, one from the Old Testament, a psalm, which we stand for. And the idea is, is we are actually praying the psalm together. The psalm is distinct as one of our readings. Um, That's why we do it responsively. We don't do that with the Old Testament or New Testament readings. So there's the Old Testament, the psalm, and then the New Testament reading. Sometimes the Old Testament reading, it might be the book from the book of Acts. It's a history kind of thing, Um, but usually it's from the Old Testament. Old Testament, Psalm, New Testament, and then the gospel. And the idea here is that you're kind of getting windows into the story. You're hearing from the story, learning from the story along different points, Um, whether that's Old Testament, whether that's New Testament, whether that's the Psalm itself or the gospel itself. And they're united often around a theme. And that theme is marked by the church season or a particular Sunday sometimes, or just like this year we're going through this gospel. And these readings, we don't just like pick them. They come from what's called a lectionary, which is another fancy Anglican word just for schedule, a schedule of readings to be read out loud or to be read. Um, And if you're at all interested, like, where does this stuff come from? Uh, It comes from a book called the Book of Common Prayer. There are different versions of this. Um, We use one that was kind of created in 2019. We mostly use it. Sometimes we draw on other sources. Um, But this is uh, the kind of like gives us the script for our worship. And the readings are chosen from here. And, And the idea that the readings are set in advance is actually really important. Because like, I might have my ideas of what you need to hear, right? Like, man, I really think people need Song of Songs this week or something like that. Um, Or I know there's a professor at Baylor years ago, David Lyle Jeffrey, who for like over a year at the church that he was worshiping at, um, tracked all the references to scripture. And he found that 70% of them, something like 70%, were all from the book of Ephesians, which is like, the book of Ephesians is awesome, but it's one of 66 books, right? And so you're like, what's going on here? Like maybe they just had like a proclivity for Ephesians. But the idea is, is like in the same way that Ephesians might be really good for you, green peas might be really good for you. If you just 70% of the time eat green peas, you're not gonna have a healthy diet. And the idea is, is that the church historically has like, hey, Be exposed to the whole thing. 
draw, feast on the whole book of Scripture. And so the lectionary is intended to be like, oh, these are the things that the people of God should be receiving from, chewing on, ruminating on, hearing about, to kind of grow in the likeness of Christ, to grow in holiness, to grow in love for God, love for neighbor. Um, And so, yeah, as much as I might love Song of Songs, I don't know why I picked that one. Uh, Kind of awkward. (laughs) Um, uh, Yeah, my wife's not in here, that's good. Um, uh, uh, But like, I might have like, okay, let's just pick another one. Like I might love Proverbs and say I wanna preach from Proverbs all the time. I don't have that luxury. Like the idea is like we're to hear from the whole counsel of God um, and the church directs us in this. Now I'll say something about the church here. We had a slide earlier and I skipped right past it, but the colors changed throughout the year, right? Like it's green right now for the, the season after Epiphany. It was purple in Advent. It will be purple again in Lent. It's red sometimes, it's white. And the idea is, is that there's a church calendar that's helping us recount the story of God, like salvation history and the story that we're now in, like we're living in. And the idea is, is that this is the calendar that for us, will shape us and, go- and govern like our thinking about ourselves. Because the fact of the matter is, is like if we as the people of God don't seek to have like our time told according to the story of God, it will be told by other stories, right? Just take this for example. It, there's a sports calendar that exists in our minds, right? You're like, October is baseball playoffs. March madness is basketball. The Super Bowl's in February. That is, to some degree, a cultural calendar that is seeking to have you mark your time. And like, it's a lot of fun. We watched some NFL football yesterday in our family. It was super fun. So I don't mean to like poo-poo that. But the idea with the church calendar is, is that we have time that can be marked by the gospel, by the story of God. And that's another way that we can be formed. And again, the idea is like, I might really wanna talk about judgment all the time and repentance and how much the people of God need to repent. But the church calendar says, no, sometimes it's time to rejoice and you've gotta rejoice. And the people of God need to be reminded of that. And sometimes they need to be reminded of like repentance and that sort of thing. And so it's kind of judiciously allocating these themes, guiding us through the story. And the colors help us kind of like uh, draw upon that. Okay, one thing about the scripture readings is one of these was not like the other. It's the gospel, right? Like we process the gospel to the middle of the room. That's not because um, we think like, oh, well, the gospels are what you absolutely have to pay attention to and the other stuff is optional. But the idea is, is the gospels as the stories of Christ's life and ministry as the, the particular focus on him, there's something really important about them. And the idea in processing them is there's an honor to the gospel that we give, but the real main idea is that there's a recognition as the gospel is processed and read from the center, that it is the gospel that makes us as a community. What God has done in Jesus Christ is the reason that we exist. It's the reason that we're a people. And there's actually this cool symbolism of the incarnation, right? Like the word has come among us, dwelt among us. The gospel is read from the very center of us. I was once reading the gospel and a big fat fly like flew and landed on the page. And it was kind of like, oh, that's kind of awkward, kind of broke the moment. But that's kind of a symbol, right? Like Jesus had flies land on him, I'm sure of it. He was pestered by mosquitoes and that sort of thing. And there's this physical, this idea that the word became flesh and entered among us that's symbolized by this. There's also something really cool in this moment is that we stand and we all face the gospel. We face, we stand in kind of the round. And the idea here is like, if you, uh, if you think about it, suppose like Mark's standing here and Will's standing there, they're looking at each other through the gospel. 
They're looking at each other through the lens of the gospel. And I don't, I don't know that Mark and Will even know each other, but maybe they're like, oh, we're really different. Or uh, I would never really talk to that person. I know that there's a difference here and like it'd be harder. And the idea is, is that through the gospel, we see each other in that lens and we're made one people in Jesus Christ. And the things that would rend us are not most substantial in that moment. And the idea is that we are made one in the gospel. You might've noticed people bowed. That's another kind of physical gesture as the cross passes them by. It's another gesture of humility, adoration. Um, And then as Sarah said, the opening words, the holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John, some of us crossed ourselves three times on the head, on the lips, and on the heart. And the idea is, is I want the gospel in my mind, on my lips, and in my affections, the very center of who I am. So that's what that's about. I was once instructed by a priest not to use your thumb for that because it looks like you're sucking your thumb here, Um, but I do that anyway. Um, So there's some freedom there around that if you wanted to use that or not. Um, All right, so that's the gospel, the procession, and the scripture readings in general. We come then to the sermon, or as we priests like to call it, showtime. Um, (laughs) Just just joking, we don't actually say that. but we come to the sermon, and the sermon is the explication of the word that we've heard preached. Um, last week, for example, I know we had Deacon Terry here. She did a great job, and she was kind of explicating the liturgical moment of baptism, and that's totally appropriate, and that's good, and we do that sometimes. Sometimes we do a topical sermon, right? There's something in particular that the church needs to wrestle with and that sort of thing. But the majority of the sermons are intended to be an explanation, an unpacking of the word of God. Because the idea is, it's not based on like what I'm thinking about or my opinions. The idea is, is that the good news that makes us, that makes us a holy people, that sends us out into the world in love and to pursue justice is the word of God. It's not the word of Peter. It's not the word of Kimberly. It's not the word of any particular person. It's the word of God. And so we set our focus there. And we are really intentional about this, that we want to explain the Bible. We want to open it up and point to Jesus, who's at the very center of the Bible, so that God's people can receive good news and be made in his likeness. And so this is an extension of the reading of God's word. You could think of what we're doing as like holding up the image of Christ in the passage, whatever that passage, it could be First Chronicles. The idea is, is we're pointing to Jesus as the word. We're explaining the truth we find there that we would all see Christ clearly. This is the primary goal, right? It's not behavior modification. The idea is, is not, you're gonna learn here how to be a good person and how to be nice. The idea is, is that you receive good news that will transform you, that will free you and heal you, make you whole. It's not a list of bees and do's. I was, had a professor in seminary who talked about the killer bees, right? Often the message is like, be more generous, be kinder to your spouse, um, be less complaining or something like that. And those are oppressive words in and of themselves. There's a quote here from a famous preacher, fantastic preacher, Fleming Rutledge. Every sermon should end not in an exhortation, but with a promise. And that is the idea here. There is room for exhortation, right? Like the Bible tells us, go that way. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus with integrity. And that's an important part of what scripture has to tell us. But the, the, where we want to land is the goodness of God shown to us in Jesus Christ and the promise of all that he's done for us and is doing in the world. I wanna say something about preaching in the age of the podcast. 
I listen to a lot of sermons. I listen to Charlie Dates. I listen to Tim Keller, Daryl Johnson. I read sermons by Fleming Lutridge. Sometimes I feel like I'm like the 12th man on the NBA bench or something like that. And I just saw someone do an amazing dunk and I'm like, whoa, that was amazing. And I listen to it. I'm like, they're so good. That was incredible. So creative. It blessed me so much listening to all these amazing preachers. I think I'm better. (laughs) I think we're better. I think we're better. I know we're better at explicating the word of God for this community for this body. Listen to other sermons. Listen to those podcasts. Saturate yourself in scripture. Those people that I just named, Charlie Dates, Tim Keller, uh, Daryl Johnson, Fleming Rutledge, like you will be shaped in the gospel as you listen to them. But there is something local and sacramental about a sermon for this community preached in and of this community. And that needs to happen here. And so I guess I just wanna like kind of say it's both and. Um, and like, I don't actually think I'm better than those, <laughs> those preachers. They're amazing. Um, but the idea is, is like, there's a word for us as a community that needs to be explicated here. And so I just want to make that kind of emphasis. Um, all right. So that's kind of the sermon uh, moment. There's more, of course, that could be said about that. But this idea that it's a promise, that it's not good advice, but good news good news for us as a local community is really where I want, what I want you to think of is we're receiving from the word. We then stand, we move from the sermon. I'm not asking you to stand right now, but we move to the creed. And each week we confess our faith. We rehearse the story that gives lives meaning. Sometimes we say that in the words of the Nicene Creed. And the idea is, is that we're collectively kind of now, after we've heard the word, after we've received it, we're kind of collectively responding in faith. And the idea is that it's a collective thing. There are weeks where like I'm re- saying in the closet, I'm like, man, it's really hard to believe that one this week. Maybe you're in that place. But the idea is, is that we're carried along by the faith of the church, that we're not doing it alone. We're not believing alone, but that we collectively are rehearsing these things. I think I have a quote here from another uh, theologian, James Smith. Do we have that up there? No, we don't. All right, I'll just read it. Um, In reciting each week, we rehearse in the creed the structure of the story in which we find our identity. As you're thinking, like, I believe in God. We believe in God. You're like, oh, this is who I am. This is the story I'm in. And its cadences become part of who we are. And they function. This is the key part. They function as rival cadences. When you go out throughout the week, there are other stories that are being told to you, that have identity for you attached to them. And some of them are good, some of them are true, but the one that is ultimate, the one that is primary, is rooted in the creed. Doing battle in our imagination with the cadences of other stories that would ask for our allegiance, that would ask for our loyalty. And the idea here is collectively, we're like, oh, no, this is the story that gives our lives meaning. You can also think of the creed in some way as a rubric, like a marking rubric. You've just heard the sermon, and then we recite the faith of the church. And the idea is, is that they should cohere. They should line up. This is important. The idea with the sermon, going back to the sermon briefly, is not that we're like coming up with something novel and coming up with something new. Yes, we want to speak in ways that are relevant to our lives in the 21st century. Yes, we want to speak and apply the gospel to our lives as we experience them today. 
But we're doing that from a place of having received something that we're trying to be faithful to, faithful with. We've received this set of convictions about Jesus, about reality, about ourselves, about who God is. And the idea is the sermon matches up with that, preaches in line with that. And that's encapsulated in the creed. So seriously, you hear me preach a sermon and you're like, how does that accord with the creed? Go with the creed for sure. And for me, it's incredibly freeing to preach in the kind of context where I know immediately after we will recite the truth of the gospel as captured by the church in history. It's incredibly freeing to know that the gospel will be proclaimed in the liturgy of the table. And the idea is, is that there are these guardrails and we preach within them, seeking to preach in line with them faithfully so that we'd all grow and be nourished in the gospel. So that's the creed. It's this check on the sermon. Like I said, it's so freeing because sometimes the sermon, you're like, that was a bunt. That was not a home run. That was a bunt. But it's in the context of the gospel going forth in the creed and the liturgy itself. And there's freedom for those of us preaching in that. Okay, sermon, scripture reading, sermon, creed, responding to the word we've received, prayers of the people, and also a response. We pray each week for the church, for the world, and for ourselves, these written down prayers. And it's a response to the word that we've received. And this is really key. You hear the word and the immediate emphasis is not like, go out and get doing stuff. The immediate response is prayer. The immediate response is calling upon God. Our initial response is, Lord, have mercy. Like, save, help us live into the truth of what we've just heard. Make the world accord more with the truth of who you are, of your kingdom. That's the initial response to the word that we have received, is we pray, we're led in prayer together. This is all this receiving from the word. And the idea is, is that Christ meets us where we are, gives us what we need as we receive his good news. And we respond then by calling upon him, calling upon him for even more because he's generous, he's good, he wants to give more. That's why we respond in prayer. All right, with all those things rattling around in our brains, I invite you now to stand as we affirm our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed.